Thank you, men's trio. Awesome job. James, in your Bibles, James chapter 3 is where we'll be at this morning. James chapter 3. So the men's trio gets to sing again in about an hour and a half or so. So a little bit more than that. And I want to thank all the folks who are working with our music ministry. Um, the organist, they stay for both services. And uh, the pianists do as well. And our special music uh, stays and sings. And so I really appreciate all the extra effort that they're putting in to be an encouragement to our church during this time when we're all doing different things. Uh, things differently than we normally do. Are you finding that your lives are getting back to normal more and more? What do you... Yes, okay, it's good. Little by little, get back to normal. And uh, my family is as well, and uh, we're still we're still able to enjoy one another. You know, we're, we've been able to enjoy one another, and God hasn't changed, even though different things changed around us. But God never changed throughout any of it, and I'm so thankful for that. And He is faithful, and I'm I'm thankful, and I appreciate. I love Him so very much. You're in James chapter three. I want to talk to you a little bit this week and next about our tongues, okay? In James chapter 3, we're going to take two, we'll take it in two sections. Uh, This week is kind of negative because we see the power of the tongue and how destructive it can be. And so that's kind of a downer, okay? Although there are some wonderful truths that will encourage our hearts today. But next week, we're going to see more of how we can be victorious over the tongue. And uh, with our tongues, and we can actually use our tongues to encourage and help people and not tear one another down. It's been said that a long tongue shortens friendships. A long tongue shortens friendships. It's also been said, think twice before you speak once. Um, There's a saying in carpentry, measure twice, cut once. Uh, If you just... You can't. You don't want to measure once and cut twice. You'll be gluing things back together. Uh, so you measure twice, you cut once. And I suppose the same can be said for our tongues. Think twice before you speak once. You know, each of my children are so different. And one of them is very thoughtful and does not speak quickly. Um, more, more thoughtful about before he speaks. Um, another one of my children... Uh, just has got a really quick tongue. And it just comes, and it can be kind of funny, and also it can be kind of like, what'd you just say? <laughs> no, were you thinking at all? No, is the answer. They weren't thinking at all. The tongue was just that quick. And I think it's important for us to remember that one day we're all going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. We're all going to give an account before the Lord for what we said, for the things that we said on this earth. In fact, the Bible says that we're going to give an account to God for every word that we spoke here on this earth. Think about that. That's kind of sobering right there. We should just have the invitation and we could uh, all, we all, all could uh, confess our failures with our tongues. The Bible says a lot of thing about uh, a lot of things about our tongues. It says it talks about a flattering tongue. It talks about a proud tongue. The Bible speaks to us about a lying tongue. The Bible talks to us about a deceitful tongue in Psalms and a perverted tongue in Proverbs. A soothing tongue. Tongue can be soothing. A healing tongue. A destructive tongue. A mischievous and wicked tongue. A soft tongue. 
It speaks of a soft tongue, a backbiting tongue. And here in the book of James, in chapter 3, is just a phenomenal passage of scripture on our tongues. And he talks about it, and he refers to our tongues as a small part of our bodies, and yet it can boast great things. And he calls the tongue actually a fire, uh, a world of iniquity. And James says that a tongue, that our tongues are untamable, and they're actually restless evil, full of deadly poison. And he says that we sometimes use our tongues to bless God or praise God, and at other times we use the very same tongues to curse people. And so James says that a man who doesn't stumble with his tongue is a perfect man. How many of us would say you've never, we've never stumbled with our tongues? So convicting, right? We all struggle with our tongues. We do. And we all struggle. Our tongues, in a very real way, are a representative of the rest of our lives. And it's true, even after we've been saved, that we still struggle sometimes with sin and we struggle with our tongues. Our tongues really reveal that struggle, I think, in a very personal way and sometimes a public way. Well, the Hebrew believers that James is writing to in James chapter 3 were struggling. They were lacking wisdom. Uh, They were lacking understanding and they were lacking patience because they were proud and they were not receiving the word of truth faithfully because of their pride. And nothing showed their lack of wisdom more than their unruly tongue. And that's true for us today. Nothing shows our lack of wisdom more than our unruly tongues. And when our tongues are unruly, when they're out of control, it really reveals that we're not walking in wisdom. We're not walking in humility. And so James, back in chapter 1, had initially addressed their tongue. In chapter 1, in verse 19, you don't have to go there, but in verse 19 he said, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Normally when we're swift to speak, swift swift to respond, sometimes that can lead to wrath. Many times it does. And so now James devotes an entire chapter of this small letter. Not very long, the book of James, you know, not very long at all. Turn a page either way and you're almost at the beginning and at the end. It's not a very long letter, but he devotes an entire chapter to the tongue, to warn these Hebrew believers of the destructiveness of the tongue and to exhort these believers to godly wisdom. I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but look with me at James chapter 3 and look at verse 1, would you? James chapter 3 and verse 1, I'll read down through verse 12. He says, My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold also the ships, which though they be so great and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor or the rudder listed. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. The tongue is a fire. A world of iniquity. 
so is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature. And it, our tongue, is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beasts, and of birds, and of serpents, and of things in the sea is tamed, and hath been tamed of mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. Doth a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either of vine figs? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. Let's pray, and then we'll look at these verses together. It'll be a challenge to us. It'll be convicting to us. It'll be good for us, okay? We'll leave here edified, strengthened, ready for the week, and uh, ready to be victorious, or to be on guard, I should say, over our tongues. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, help us, I pray. We have gathered together this morning, and we've sung praises to your name. And uh, we have spoken words of that are building up of others around us, edifying words to, to people that we love. And Father, we'll go home by your grace this morning and with those that we love and that we're closest with and those whom we love more than anybody else. And Father, we'll be tempted to say things to them that we shouldn't. And Father, we, with the same tongues that we have encouraged our brothers and sisters in Christ, and we have sang praises to your name, we will be tempted to tear down our those who are closest to us. Father, I pray that you'd help us in this matter. You've saved us by your Son. His power is all that we need. His presence is within us. He witnesses every word we speak. And he can guide our words. And Lord, I pray in my own life that you would use my tongue more for your praise and your glory. And Lord, I pray that you would keep me from evil with my tongue. Lord, I pray that for this congregation as well. May brothers and sisters encourage one another, uh, both old and young. I pray. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Look back to verse 1, would you? And... Uh, we're going to work our way down through this chapter, through these 12 verses. In verse 1, he says, my brethren, he's talking to his brothers in Christ, his sisters in Christ. And he says, be not many masters. The word masters means teachers, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. And James really here, and I read to you already from chapter 1 and verse 19, and James is now referring back, he's picking back up where he had left off in chapter 1, and he says, be not many masters, don't be a lot of teachers. We all have influence, we all can give instruction to one another. There are a lot of things that I've learned from different men in this auditorium, and even some ladies within this auditorium, some things from the Word of God, and some things that are have to do with plumbing, and, and uh uh, construction and things like that, be, mechanical things. So there's a lot of things that we can teach one another. And James warns these believers and he says, be not many masters. Don't be a bunch of teachers. 
Cindy is a teacher, and in her classroom, she'll have seventh grade uh, English students. And sometimes she has, teaches 10th grade English and 12th grade English. I think she teaches 10th grade history as well. And uh, when those students are in her class, they're there to learn English and grammar and literature from, from Mrs. Ferguson. Can you imagine if all of the students in her class were all talking at the same time about what they understood about literature? I mean, all at the same time. What would that be like? It would be chaos, wouldn't it? And I think that was some of what was going on with these early believers, these Hebrew believers. They're all talking at once about what they knew, what they thought should be done. And it was there was a bit of chaos involved. And he tells them, he says, be not many masters. Don't advance yourself to the head of the class as the instructor. Now, it's interesting. He's talking to Hebrew believers. And think with me now. Um, and, and at this time, they still would have been meeting in the synagogue. Okay. And the synagogues in those days were places of open discussion. And there's nothing wrong with freedom of speech. Certainly not preaching against that. Although many of us may be too free with our speech. And in the synagogues in those days, they were places of open discussion where everyone who desired could come forward to speak his mind. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 26, Paul had asked this question of the church at Corinth. He said, how is it then, brethren, when ye come together, every one of you hath a psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a teaching, is what he's saying, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation. In other words, he says, you all get together and you all want to preach a sermon. Let's all do that this morning. We'll be here long after morning. <laughs> Some of you would say, I've got a sermon I'd like to preach, Pastor. <laughs> no, I don't know. But can you imagine if we all did that this morning? Um, well, I've got something I want to say. I got something I want to add. And, uh, and, and you might have an antidote. Maybe it would be from the word of God. Maybe it would be an experience, something you experienced this week. The truth is, is that human nature has not changed since the time of Paul, when he wrote to the church at Corinth. And it hasn't changed since the time of James, when he wrote to these Hebrew believers and it's still quite natural in our day for people to want to be teachers and not learners. That's natural. By the way, it's a, it's a wise man, and I would be a wise man as a pastor, to sit and to learn, to sit under teaching and preaching. One of the things I enjoy, and I've enjoyed you know, tonight, um, I believe Mr. Josh Harney, our Sunday school teacher for the Berean class, will be preaching at 6 o'clock, and he'll preach about, I don't know, 25 minutes or so, something like that. I don't know what he preached on. He's already recorded it. This week he came in, and Riley Bohalski recorded him, and that'll be played at 6 o'clock this evening. The last couple of weeks has been Pastor Gosnell from the Home Builders class, or not the Home Builders, the, the Brian class. Did I get those mixed up? I might have. Okay, Josh Harney's in the Home Builders, Brian's is Pastor Gosnell. Well, Pastor Gosnell preached the last couple uh, Sunday nights, and I enjoyed sitting there. And the last night he preached, um, he's pre I know he preached out of Philippians, but I enjoyed sitting there and listening and learning, putting myself under teaching the Word of God. And, and, and it's natural for us to all want to be teachers instead of learners. Layman Strauss wrote this, he said, quote, I see the great need among brethren, among believers, to cultivate a teachable spirit. 
The pride of scriptural knowledge has made men arrogant and critical. Some Christians seldom receive a blessing in the public worship and teaching service because they did not come to be taught, but rather to judge the content and composition of the speaker's message. End quote. That would be sad, wouldn't it? I hope that's not you. I don't believe that's the spirit of Trinity Baptist Church. Um, oftentimes when a guest speaker will come, like an evangelist or a missionary, uh, I will, if they've never preached here before, I'll try to paint a picture for them about what they can expect, where they'll preach from. If it's Sunday school, they preach down front. And if it's Sunday morning or Sunday evening, they preach from the pulpit, talk about an invitation or what we're going to do, how we're going to handle that. And I'll, and I'll tell them a little bit about you as a church. And oftentimes I'll tell them Trinity Baptist Church is an easy church to preach to. The congregation will listen well. And by the way, that not every pastor can say that. It's a wonderful blessing for me to be able to say that to these speakers. And I'll tell them, you preach the word. That's what I tell them. You preach the word. The congregation at Trinity Baptist Church, they will listen to the word of God. And those are the things that I want. I don't want a guy up here just giving his two cents. I want him to preach the word of God. And that's worth listening to. And you all have proven for many years now, many of you, that you love the word of God and that you want to learn by the word of God. So don't stop that. It's wiser to listen and submit ourselves to the truth. And God's work will always be better accomplished when we're swift to hear and slow to speak. And then he cautions. Look there at verse 1. He says, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. In other words, when, when we think we know better, and we begin to instruct others, we would do well to remember, and to whom much is given, much more will be required. There's accountability. Note, look at verse 2. He says, for in many things we offend all. In other words, we all make mistakes. We all fail at times. Then he says this, if any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man. He's a mature man. In other words, when we offend with our tongues, it's a sign of immaturity. Now, we have some very mature believers in this room. People who have been saved for a long time. Men and women who have walked very consistently with the Lord. And yet, isn't it true, even for the, the believer who's been saved for 50 or even 60 years, isn't it true that sometimes we offend with our, our mouths? Isn't that true? We say things that we wish we could take back. And it reveals again the immaturity. And I'll go beyond that even the worldliness of our flesh, the ungodliness of our flesh. So we all offend. If any man offend not in word, the same as a perfect man. He's a mature man. And look at what it says here. This is very interesting. At the end of verse 2, he says, And able also to bridle the whole body. In other words, if you can control your tongue, you can control your whole body. The same is also true if you can't, if you're not controlling your tongue, there are other things that are out of control. And what an amazing statement. It, 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 if we can be victorious over the tongue, we can be victorious over the whole body. And so if I were to say one thing to you this morning that you would take away this morning as you go into your week, it's this. It's a warning. It's be careful with your tongue. Be careful with your tongue. You can speak. You can say something. You can respond. You can give instruction, but be careful. Be careful with your tongue. Three truths from the passage. Look at verse 3. First of all, I notice that the tongue is powerful. 
The tongue is powerful. It's more powerful, I think, that I'm going to be able to communicate to you this morning. It's more powerful, I feel, than we consider it to be. We wake up every day. Uh, I think everybody who's here this morning has the ability to speak, the ability to communicate. Uh, The tongue is powerful. Look at verse 3. He says, behold. And you see the word behold, it means look and see. Don't miss this. Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. I'm going to stop there. We'll go on in just a moment. In Psalm 64, in verse 3, the tongue is called a sword. I like swords. Uh, I'm not any good with a sword. I don't fight anything with a sword. I, I like swords. But swords are dangerous. They can cut. They can hurt. They could do harm. And and, and Psalm 64 and verse 3 calls the tongue a sword. And the sword, this sword, the sword of our tongue, has certainly damaged and bruised. It has wounded and I think even killed more people than all the swords and all the wars since history began. We've all seen it many times, right? That newly married couple. And they're so lovey-dovey, right? The pagan men are here. I will not go down this path too far. So lovey-dovey. They're first married for days and days on end. But one day, the fella loses his temper. And he slashes into the heart and the affections of his wife. He slashes into her heart with an uncontrolled anger. With words that he cannot take back. Now, she can forgive him. But the words have left his mouth. He said things that he wishes he hadn't. But but it's done. It's said. The damage has been done. Now, How often we need to remember the old saying that we cannot pull back the arrow that we shot into the air and the water that's under the bridge or the word that is spoken. It's been said that angry words, oh, let them never from the tongue unbridled slip with the soul's best impulse. Ever check them ere they soil the lips. Angry words are quickly spoken. Bitter thoughts are rashly stirred. Fondest links of life are broken by a single angry word. Is there any part of a man that is so difficult to control as our tongues? And James illustrates now the influence of the tongue. And he uses a couple of Uh, things that we're somewhat familiar with to illustrate our tongues. He uses horses and he uses ships. Look at uh, verse 3 again and notice that the tongue has this powerful influence. We were able to see how the tongue controls and guides the whole course of life. He says a bit in a horse's mouth is remarkably effective in verse 3. He says with their use, one man can hold in check a whole team of horses. That's what he's saying. Command the mouth of a horse, and you can command the whole horse. When I was growing up, we had a horse named Sinbad. And uh, we thought he was a gelding, but he wasn't. And uh, he was part Arabian. You know, the Arabian horses, they arch their neck, and their tails go up. They're very beautiful, very high-spirited. He was part Arabian. He was part Morgan, which are, are not as spirited a horse. The Morgans were very beautiful. And Sinbad had a black mane and a black tail, and uh, he had one white 
stocking, and the rest were all black on his feet. He didn't wear socks, but you know what I'm talking about. And uh, Sinbad was a lot of fun. And uh, I can remember riding Sinbad, and sometimes I would try to gallop him across the pasture. And sometimes Sinbad would obey very well. It was very pleasant to ride. And other days, he just wasn't up for riding. He didn't want me to ride him. Uh, and uh, he just wanted to do his own thing, eat grass and me feed him and water him. That's all he wanted, you know. And uh, But the bit would help help control Sinbad. Now, the bottom, the bottom line is that he needed to be trained, too. He had to grow in those things. But a bit helped control a horse that weighed well over 1,000 pounds. And I, at the time, did not weigh as much as I do now. I certainly didn't weigh 1,000 pounds. There was no way that I could control Sinbad if he didn't want to be controlled. And the bit helped in doing that. And the tongue may seem small. Uh, it may seem insignificant. But if our tongues are unchecked, it can result in an uncontrolled man. A tongue controlled by the Lord Jesus Christ can be a great blessing to others. Think about that. My tongue, if I'm going to just let it go, it can hurt so many people. But if I will allow my tongue to be controlled by the Lord Jesus Christ, it can be a great blessing to others. But an uncontrolled tongue will do great damage. And so I ask you, is your tongue an encouragement to others? Or is your tongue a discouragement to others? How would you how would you tell me about your tongue if we were to talk this morning? And I would say, how have you been using your tongue to encourage your parents, your children, your relatives, your neighbors? Has your tongue been an encouragement or has your tongue been a source of discouragement to others? Hey, look at verse four. He talks about a rudder on a ship. Look at verse four. He says this. Behold, also the ships, which though they be so great and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. A great ship, full of passengers maybe, or cargo, is brought safely to port because the vessel is made to go where the helmsman desires it to go. And how does he determine how that ship is going to make its destination and navigate the waters? Well, he uses the rudder. And the rudder, in comparison to the rest of the ship, is very small. Now, some rudders are very big, but some ships are very, very big. And the, the rudder, in comparison to the rest of the ship, is very small. And yet the rudder, it's the rudder that determines the course of the ship. Will that ship make port is determined by the rudder. There's a story about the Bismarck, which was a ship, a German ship, a big battleship. And um, I believe it was early on in World War II. And the Bismarck uh, was, was a fearsome ship, and the British were very afraid of the Bismarck. It had steel plate and, and, and on its decks and reinforced steel and thicker steel than most other ships and bigger guns than the other ships. And uh, the Bismarck was actually... Uh, sailing out to sea under its steam and a, a uh, torpedo plane, one of the British torpedo planes, uh, it was a swordfish. Why they named a plane a swordfish, I don't know, but that's what they did, and it was a biplane. It was not fast. 
it was not maneuverable, and it dropped a torpedo, and it caught the Bismarck in the tail end of, of the ship, and it disabled the rudder so that the ship was no longer steer, it could not be steered anymore. And the Bismarck just began, it still had steam, it still had power. It still had all of its protective plates. It still had its big guns, but the Bismarck could only go in a circle, a big circle in the ocean. And the British ships began to descend upon the Bismarck. And they and all the Bismarck could do, and it could fire its guns. It could fight, but it could not maneuver at all. And eventually, the British ships sunk the Bismarck. The rudder. Where you head in life is determined. Where your relationships will go will be determined by how you use your tongue. Is your tongue going to be used by the Lord to encourage others, to strengthen other believers, to, to salve wounds of others around you that are hurting? Or is your tongue going to be used to discourage and harm those who you, who you love? Psalm or Proverbs 25 and verse 11 says this, a word fitly spoken is like apples of, pick, of gold and pictures of silver. And so we see that the tongue has a powerful influence. A kind word can be used to encourage. A kind word can be used to strengthen. It can be used to bring to safe harbor, to lighten someone's heavy load. So just as bits and the mouths of horses and rudders in, in ships can change the course of history, so too can the tongue. Maybe the first thing that comes to our minds this morning is, you know, I need to do a better job with my tongue. I think most of us, many of us are probably thinking about that. But the truth is found, and look at verses 7 and 8. No, no man has power in and of himself to subdue his tongue. Look at verse, verses 7 and 8. It says this, For every kind of beast and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. Some of us are really flippant with our tongues. We're careless. That's what I mean by flippant. We're careless. We just, no, that's just me. It's just what I say. It's what I do. It's just how I speak. It's just how I talk. Some of us are very complacent with our tongues. And the tongue may be small, but... Don't, under, don't underestimate the extent of the damage of the tongue. I want, to know, I want you to know and remember this morning that with our tongues, we can strengthen our marriages. With our tongues, we can strengthen friendships. So honest words, speaking the truth, but speaking them in love. Genuine words, kind, compassion sometimes. What, how, how, are, how are we using our tongues? So no man has the power to, to tame them. So we see the tongue is powerful, but secondly, we see that the tongue is perverse. We see the tongue is perverse. And this is really now where it kind of gets a little hard because at first we might think, you know, I'm just going to do a better job with my tongue. But, but look at verses 5 and 6, and we see that the tongue is perverse. He says, even so, the tongue is a little member, like a rudder on a ship, like a bit in the mouth of horses. It's a little member and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. Look at verse 6. And the tongue is a fire, 
a world of iniquity. This is not how we normally describe our tongues, as a fire, as a world of iniquity. And the word iniquity means unrighteousness. And then he goes on to say in verse 6, So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and is set on fire of hell. You know, under the right circumstances, it only takes a spark to get a forest fire started. You know, there are certain times of the year where they don't want us to what? Burn brush. Because if we did, it could easily get out of control. I remember a couple of years ago, I was burning some brush. It was still early spring. Snow was all gone. And it had been warm. And all that dead grass. And, and where, I, where I was burning, there was a lot of the grass had been tall. And it had fallen over in the winter and gotten brown and died, so to speak. And it's laying there. And the wind picked up while I was burning, and it began to spread. And I can remember panicking a little bit. We're a long way from the house. I don't have access to any water where I'm at. If this wind keeps going, I'm not going to be able to contain this fire. And where does it end? How far does it go? I don't want to lose my trees. And then I'm thinking of my neighbor's property. I don't want to lose his trees, right? It could be dangerous. Now, it it didn't go very far but it could have with the right wind. And so under the right circumstances, it only takes a spark to get a forest fire started, and the results can be devastating. And all too often, a word spoken angrily and carelessly has led nations into wars and bloodshed and divided households, hurt relationships between parents and children and children and parents and neighbors and fellow church members. Tongue itself, the tongue itself is an entire world of unrighteousness in our body. Did you see that in verse 6, the beginning part? Look back there, he says, And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. And just as a match can set on fire an entire forest, the tongue can start a fire that ruins a marriage. Oh, I'm not talking necessarily about divorce. You're still living in the same, under the same roof. But it's not a marriage. There's not unity. There's not a sweetness. It's not a haven. A tongue can start a fire that engulfs a home, destroys an entire church. You know, parents, and I'm speaking to some parents now who are older, your children are adults, I'm not saying don't speak the truth. You should speak the truth. Our tongues, a godly tongue, ought to speak the truth to our children. So I'm not just saying be political with your tongue. So speak the truth, but do so in love. And I'm understanding this more and more as my children get older. You know, the days of don't ask why, just get in the van and buckle up. Now, those are still there. They can still, I can still just drop the hammer, so to speak, and I don't have to give reasons why or logic. And I suppose I can just mandate and uh, rule as a king. However, as I've parented over the past couple of years, I've noticed looks in the eyes of my children. You know, you look into their eyes and they're not with you. Oh, they're going to do what you ask them to do, but they're not with you. And Cindy and I have had to talk a couple of times, several times, actually, many times. 
about specific children of ours. And it's not that we shouldn't require them to do something. But with that child, there needs to be a conversation. There needs to be some communication. This is why I'm asking you to do this. Now, maybe not right then. I'm still teaching my children to obey. They need to obey. And not just obey because that makes me look good as a parent, but because ultimately I want them to obey the Lord long after I've left this earth. So they need to learn to obey. But they also need to grow in wisdom. And as a parent, I can do that with my tongue. I can help do that with my tongue. I can encourage them to seek wisdom. And so I speak to some, you have children who are in the home, some, and some here have children that are outside of the home. Continue to cultivate those relationships. And maybe there's a relationship, but it's not everything that you'd want it to be. Maybe there's some friction. Maybe there's some history. Maybe things aren't the way that you want them to be. Well, you know what? Start where you are and work on those relationships with your tongue. And you can use your pen, by the way, as a tongue to write a letter or email or a text or a message of some kind in social media. You can use your tongue that way to be an encouragement and to build relationships. The challenge is, is that we have a tongue that in, its, in and of itself is an entire world of unrighteousness. And, and it can destroy a home. It can destroy a church. And the tongue, it says, defileth the whole body. Look at verse number six, the latter part. He says, so is the tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature. And it is set on fire of hell. Part of what we see in our country today has everything to do with our tongues. Well, I'm just I'm just saying it how it is. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what they're saying, too. And by them, I mean whoever doesn't agree with you. Right? Well, I'm just saying it. I'm just saying it. I suppose we could all do that. We could all do that. We'd find so much division, so much that we don't agree about. It's foolishness. So don't be careless with our tongues. The devil himself will find a way to use it. James concludes this in verse number 8. Look there in verse number 8. The latter part, he says, it is an unruly evil. And the word unruly means unable to be restrained. Speaking about our tongues, it's an unruly evil. Full of deadly poison. And he warns us that this untamable, unruly tongue is literally full, overflowing, dripping with deadly poison. With deadly poison. Now, these are not my words. These are God's words. How many of you know that the devil wants... He has. How many of us know here that the devil has a will? He has a goal. He has something he's working to accomplish. How many of us know that? Can I see your hand? All right. God has a desire. That's true. And the devil also has a will. Now, he doesn't care. He's not going to play by the rules. He'll use whatever you and I say for his agenda. He's not going to he's not. He doesn't have character and integrity to say, you know what? That person said that, but they didn't mean it that way. So I can't use that how I want it to be. No, no. he'll use whatever we say for his purpose, for his purpose. And consider how serious and solemn these words that James are, are that, that he penned down. Behind every word that is unclean and every word that is untrue and every angry and divisive and unkind word is Satan himself. 
It's full of deadly poison. Mountain climbers have a saying that they're, and they'll bring it up from time to time, where they talk about when they're in certain places and they're climbing and there's snow, that the smallest of vibrations, even from a faint whisper, can bring down an avalanche upon them. And when the guide detects such sensitivity in the air, he cautions every climber to remain absolutely silent. Why? Because the tongue is ignited with the very fires of hell. Sometimes there are times where we should remain absolutely silent. I was talking to a couple the other day. They're working on their marriage. And uh, this particular couple, they struggle to find common ground. And, uh, you know, pastor, it's like, and they both said this in each other's presence. Pastor, it's just like we have nothing in common. It's like anything we say can be used against us in the court of law, in the court of law of the marriage, you know. And nobody move, nobody flinch. None of us have ever been there. You know what that's like. It's like you can't say anything because it's going to be used against you. And I told them, I said, you know, when that happens and you're on your way north, you're driving somewhere and you're just not seeing eye to eye, to eye you know what you need to do, sir? You just need to reach over and take her hand and just hold her hand. And let him just hold your hand. Just hold hands. You don't have to, you don't have to be talking all the time. You don't have to be working out every detail of your lives and Go rehashing everything you've ever said and every thought you've ever thought. Just, just be quiet. Because maybe it's at that time where you're in danger of an avalanche. Have you ever been there where you, you kept digging with your words and things didn't get better? Have you ever been there? Yeah. Thank you, Jimmy, for speaking for all of us. It's true. So stop digging. Stop talking. The smallest of vibrations could bring down an avalanche. Words could be said in that moment that will ruin the rest of the trip. And not just the rest of the weekend or the rest of the trip or the rest of the vacation, but could be things that hurdles that will need to be overcome for the next year or years. So... An avalanche of sorrow could come, bitterness, an avalanche of jealousy or of lying or slander, maybe just outside of your family, your marriage, this church, don't sin with your tongue. Proverbs 16 and verse 27 says, an ungodly man diggeth up evil, and in his lips there is as a burning fire. Think about that, an ungodly man diggeth up evil. It would be ungodly of me to go around this congregation to try to find the evil. It's ungodly. It's wicked. Don't do it. Don't do it in your home. Don't do it in your home. Uh, finally, I want to notice one this final truth. The tongue is polluted. We've seen that the tongue is powerful. The tongue is perverse. It's ungodly, full of deadly poison. <laughs> Just kind of feel dirty, and you've got one. We're all like, "What do I do with my tongue? I, I don't. I wish I didn't have it." Okay, but you got one, and I got one too. It's perverse, but it's also polluted. Look at verse nine. Verse nine, he says this: "Therewith bless we God, even the Father; and therewith curse we men, 
And I love what the Holy Spirit does here. In case we aren't going to do it, he makes it very obvious. He says, which are made after the similitude of God. If he hadn't said that, you know what we'd be tempted to say? We'd be tempted to say, well, of course we bless God. He's holy and he's perfect. But there's no problem with me blessing God and singing praises to God because he's holy and then cursing men because they're wicked. And James says, those men that are wicked, those people who have done you wrong, are actually made in the likeness of God. Continue in verse 10, he says, Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. Doth the fountain send forth of the same place sweet water and bitter? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries? The obvious answer is no. Either a vine figs? No. So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. And what he's talking about here when he talks to us about our tongue and it being so polluted is he's saying, stop being a hypocrite with your tongue. Don't praise God in cursed men who are made in the likeness of God. How many of us understand that not every man or every person is holy? Right? Thanks, Pastor. We know that. But we were all made in the likeness of God. And God says, you're offending me when you attack them. Yeah, but they're so wrong. Again, I'm not saying you don't speak the truth, but you better speak it in love. It better be seasoned with salt. It ought to have the goal of mending, encouraging, restoring, helping, aiding. We ought to see each other as a ministry, our brother and our sister in Christ, that we can encourage and help along this journey. Are there ever times in your life where you're discouraged? Yeah. Now, how many times in my own life have had someone, a brother or sister in Christ, said something to me? And I, it was kind of like I wanted to look around. Like, how would they possibly know to say that? And I believe that revelation is complete. Okay? <laughs> so it's complete. The Bible is complete. It's not, it's not more revelation. But God speaking through a brother and sister in Christ to encourage my heart. And at times of discouragement. Or sometimes speaking the truth to me when in my heart I was in the middle of making a decision and someone says something and it's the Lord leading and working in my heart by His Spirit to lead me in a way that I ought to go. And I'm telling you this, God wants to use you that way and He wants to use me that way. And, and, and what we're seeing here in this first half of this chapter, it is disgusting. And, that, and we see it. We've lived it. We've been there. We've been a part of it. We've been used in this way. And I'm saying let's not be used that way. Our tongues are, nat- are naturally inconsistent. In verse 10 he says, Out of the same mouth proceeds blessing and cursing. And he gives two Uses of the tongues that are in contrast. On the one hand, one of the most wonderful ways we can use our tongues is to praise the Lord 
And on the other hand, we can use our tongues to degrade someone and injure someone and speak evil of people. And he says, my brethren, these things ought not so to be. And so I ask you in conclusion, are you concerned about your tongue? Are you concerned about your tongue? There are certain things in life that are dangerous. They just are. We have a little four-wheeler. Tori has had it on its side one time, threw her and her and Ian off. She was looking backwards while she was going that way. <laughs> Not a good idea. Small tree, looking the wrong way, just didn't end up well. They were okay. But no one got to ride it for like a month because I wasn't ready for anybody to ride it for a while. But whenever they get on it, I have some rules for them. They always have to wear a helmet. And we do have trees, and there are some branches that are a little low. And I, I go over those rules. Why? Because there's some inherent danger to riding that, that quad. Or maybe riding a bicycle. There's some dangers to riding a bicycle. There are just, there's dangers, and there are different dangers in life. Well, as we leave here this morning, remember this. You have something inside of you that can be used for the glory of God. But you also have something inside of you in your tongue that Satan can use for his purpose. How many of us in this room this morning want God's will to be done on this earth? And sometimes we look around, we don't have to look too far. Sometimes we can look within and say, whoa, there's some real, there's some things in this world, including this old flesh, my flesh, that are in the way of God's will being done. And But we say, but we believe, God, you can, your will can be done. We're asking you to do your will and to have your way. Well, let's let it start right here with our tongues. Sometimes that means, shh, don't say a word. Sometimes it's going to mean I'm going to speak the truth, but I'm going to do it with love, seasoned with salt. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you for this congregation of believers. Thank you for your word for giving us the truth, for this warning this morning from your word. Oh Lord, I pray that we'd be careful, that we'd be cautious with our tongues. Some of us, Lord, may we leave here and just pray, Lord, would you transform me in my tongue? Help me. Help me, Lord, to speak the right things. I ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand with me to your feet? Pastor Toman's going to lead us in a hymn as we conclude our service. Thank you for being here. You're an encouragement to me. And aren't you thankful for God's protection through all of this so far, too? We're very thankful for that. So let's sing together.